Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm so glad to be here with you today. Hey, in the last few weeks, you guys have been so kind to like extra more than usual reach out and say how much you're enjoying these episodes and how fun the summer has been on the podcast. And I just want to tell you, thank you. That means a lot to me. And our music in the background is from our dear friend, Mr. Dave Barnes. Make sure you check out his new album and make sure you catch him on tour if you want to come to Nashville. There are still a few tickets left for the show at the Ryman. Speaking of Dave, you guys, we've made it through the World Cup Sunday, July 15th. Just a few days after this podcast releases is the final for the World Cup. And I'm so excited to watch it. You just can't even know. I'm so excited to watch it. And hilariously, I'll be preaching that morning at Crosspoint. And so I will not be watching it until the evening. So don't spoil it, you guys. I'm not even actually going to open my internet. But don't text me. Don't tell me. Just don't, please. Please don't spoil it. I cannot watch it till Sunday night. But I'm excited. I'm also very sad the World Cup is over. We're going to have Dave and Aaron back um, before too long in the next few weeks just to do a little recap after it is all finished. So don't you worry about that. Hey, today on the show is a dear friend of mine, Allie Fallon. You probably know her from her Twitter or Instagram or her books. Her most recent book is called Indestructible, Leveraging Your Broken Heart to Become a Force of Love and Change in the World. It will come out this fall in November, um, and but you can go ahead and pre-order it. And listen, you want to go ahead and pre-order it. It is so, so good. But I just love Allie, and I wanted to sit down and talk to her about some important stuff that's going on in my life and hear her thoughts and invite you all along. So here's my conversation with Allie Fallon. Okay, what did you have for breakfast? <laughs> I had a, a gluten-free sweet potato biscuit from the Post. They have gluten-free biscuits at oh, the yes. Post? I did not know this. This is, I, this is why I spend every day of my life there. <laughs> right. It's in East Nashville. I'm completely addicted. Yeah. Yeah. Do you live over there now? I do. Oh, I don't think I realized that. Yeah. I didn't realize you were there. It's very close. I mean, it used to be walking distance from my house, and now I've moved, so I have to yeah. get in a car and go. But it's a five-minute drive, and I'm there way too often. I'm always, like, ashamed. Do you always eat gluten-free? Yes. How long? Uh, eight years at least. It's okay. been since 2010. Why? It's, I have an intolerance. I mean, it's weird. I've been tested for celiac and I'm not celiac, but it bothers me every time I try to eat it. Yeah. So, and every time I think, usually about four times a year, I'm like, it's like Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. my birthday, that mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm probably not, I'm probably just making this up in my head. <laughs> I'm going to eat a cinnamon roll or something and I'll always do it. And then I'm like, what was I thinking? Yeah. Every time it just bothers yeah. me. So. Do you feel different without it? I, I mean, I know it bothers so you in the moment, but overall. Well, here's the thing is that it takes my body about 72 hours to fully. So if I accidentally eat gluten or if I cheat or something, uh-huh. it's like a full three days. Of, right. Like my skin breaks out and off, it happens to me a lot when I'm traveling where I'll accidentally eat something. Yeah. I immediately know I'm like digestion well, off, here we go. my skin. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, okay, well. Yeah. So and, you just got back from Thailand. I did. Did you, because Asia's like almost gluten-free, right? Well, you would think. Yeah, I do think. I'm going to Asia tomorrow. But so actually, I don't know. Like, and I don't know. It's hard to know when you go a place because I was only on the ground six days. Right. So it's hard to know if the experience I got is really an authentic experience or whatever. But like, because we stayed at hotels that were, I'm assuming, are accommodating people from other from the U.S. and whatever. Sure, sure, sure. So like breakfast, there's like tons of croissants. And, oh, sure. Okay. Um, And definitely, a l- I mean, all the rice and stuff is gluten-free, but they also have, there were also like there's soy sauce mm-hmm, on almost mm-hmm, everything and mm-hmm. soy sauce is not gluten-free. So yeah. Um, so even that bothers you? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, huh. soy sauce, in fact, is one of the worst. Like I can't do Chinese food, period. Oh, my gosh. Because almost everything is either breaded or soy sauce or... Yeah, yeah. So anyway. Sad. I know. What do I not know about going to Asia that I should know before I go tomorrow morning? Ooh, good question. What do you wish you... Had you been before? Yeah, I'd been to China, but it'd been a long time. Okay. And um, what should you know? Their sense of personal space is quite different than ours. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So So, they're not stealing from me. They're just very close to me. They're just really close. Like, it it doesn't appear to feel like a violation of space the same way that it, to me to me I'm like oh okay I'm being touched <laughs> like okay everybody back up yeah, yeah settle yeah. down so um what else it's I mean I'm I just always amazed I think I felt this way in South America too but 
how fast traffic moves and how fast things mm-hmm. move and nobody's phased. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in a car and you're like, this feels like I'm like on a death ride. Yeah. But why is it important to you to save up not only your money, but your calendar yeah. to travel internationally? My grandfather would tell me when he was alive that everybody should leave the country for at least two weeks every two years. Okay. That was his What's that science about, Grandpa? He said that it was just about keeping a perspective on yeah. things that are happening in the world and reminding yourself that it's so easy to become um, egocentric mm-hmm. in your staying in your own culture. Yeah. And I probably leave the country. I remember really taking that advice and taking it to heart. Even as a teenager, I uh, I was about 16 when I decided I was going to make it a point. Anytime that there was an opportunity to leave the country, I was going to take it. Yeah. And at the time, there weren't. now there are more opportunities. Sure. So I can't say yes to everything. But back then, it was like someone's going on a mission trip to Haiti. Okay, I'm going with them. Or someone's yeah. going to Honduras. I'm going with them. Or... Um, I traveled with the Continental Singers. They, I was like, okay, what? we're going to London. We're going to Europe. Great. Awesome. I'm on board. What do I have to do? A sing? Okay. I can learn how to do that. You are so, kidding. Tell me. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> this is so good. What are the Continental Singers? It's like Jeremiah people or up with people. Have you not heard of this? Is no. Like, okay. It used to be like really popular in the 70s and okay. 80s and then 90s. It's like a Christian thing? It's yes. It's okay. Like a, I was picturing like a Disney World, like, a, well, like one of those troops at Epcot. Okay. This is the way that I explain it to people, which sort of I feel like maybe overstates it and makes it seem cooler than it okay, is. Okay, good. Go but there. But like if you picture like Broadway musical mixed with gospel message okay. altar call. Okay. And mix them together. It's and that's like it. contemporary Christian music choreographed with a choir. Like you're you're like singing Christian music and dancing and yeah, I mean it's it's Great. about as cheesy as it sounds. No, no, no. I'm so. I mean, I was in sh- I was in <laughs> choir the whole time I was in middle school and high school, and I was in chorus at school. Okay. And so I and we did like I mean we did choir tour where we did a Broadway <laughs> show and went yeah. and performed it for other yeah. youth groups. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And but you when guys you do go, that internationally, yes, I you miss go to my Europe calling, and people think calling. you're famous. Like it's yes. the most. You're like I'm so not famous, but then people are like asking for your autograph. And, yeah. And you know, we did when I was in high school, my freshman, sophomore, and junior year, my there was a family from our church where I grew up that were missionaries in Paris. And they lived in Paris full time. Okay. And we would take the youth group over there every spring break and do that. Yeah. And do performances (laughs) and just sing and dance. It was just the nineties, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you get to go international with them a lot. I did, yeah. yeah. And then now with the work I do, I do get to travel quite a bit. And that it's it's always really satisfying. It's I would say even from this Thailand trip, the biggest takeaway that I came home with was, um, well, because let me back up a little bit and say I went with an organization called Rescue Freedom. Mm-hmm. They're fighting human trafficking specifically as it relates to women and girls in the sex trade. So uh, I was struck by how culture has in a wider sense has made allowances for things to take place that the culture of the world the culture not just the thailand culture the culture of thailand and and i should be careful because i'm speaking i'm just speaking with limited knowledge and understanding but based on what we what you saw yeah and what we saw there are a lot of um cultural practices in thailand for example men it's very common for men in thailand to have a a mistress, uh-huh. or we would call it a mistress. They call it a minor wife. Uh, <laughs> so, and nope. it's also incredibly common for men to be engaged in prostitution. I, I oh. think the statistic was ninety-four percent of Thai men regularly engage in prostitution, which I found a strong parallel between oh, the, my the statistic in the states about um, men participating regularly in pornography. I just mm. thought, like, you know, to us, the statistic about prostitution would feel incredibly striking, and it does, yeah. And I actually do think for me as a woman, the pornography statistic sounds striking too. Mm-hmm. But when you are in the wider culture, I don't think it seems quite so striking to us. In fact, it's like a regularly accepted, if you look at culture, TV and media and stuff, it's a regularly, regularly accepted practice that men are engaging in pornography. And not just men, actually the statistics are rising for women. Oh my gosh, as well. insanely rising. Yeah, yeah. All that to Barna say- Barna has some great research on it if people want to go read about it. Okay, I, I would love to do some more reading about yeah, yeah. it too. I feel like my eyes were opened on this trip. But all that to say, the takeaway for me was we have to be really discerning in as we look at what's accepted in the wider culture because we're so impacted by culture. It's like a fish in water mm. or like reading the label from the inside of the bottle as 
my friend Don likes oh, to say. Oh, wow. It's you can't see it as clearly as you can when you're an outsider stepping into the culture and you're like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, this is horrific and horrifying. Mm-hmm. And this is really costing people their soul and their humanity. But you can tell that when you're inside of it, it's like, well, these are the boundaries that we're operating inside of. And so we're just making the best decision we know how given the parameters that we've been wow. given. Yeah. And it just made me think like, I wonder how if I were to step back as an outsider and re-examine the own, my own culture that I live in, what different choices might I make? And how am I making allowances for things that really would be considered, if I had a different perspective, might be considered evil or mm-hmm. um, maybe not evil, but maybe dial it back a little bit and just might be considered unhelpful mm-hmm. or you know, not um, not conducive to the flourishing of my own humanity or the humanity of people around me. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, things become normal to us and... Like, I don't know. I mean, I've thought of a couple of examples since I've been home, but like the consumerism of purchasing, making purchases without knowing like where were these clothes made or Mm -hmm. what went into, uh, what all is involved in my making this purchase. To me, it's like flippant, whatever. It doesn't matter. Everybody shops at Forever 21 or whatever. Yeah. I don't shop there, but you get the point. Yeah. Anyway, it just has caused me to pause a little bit and think about do you know john mark comer at bridgetown yes, church yeah, yeah. Okay. he's a good friend he's awesome yeah i love him he when he was on the show in january he talked about sabbath and he said one of his big disciplines of sabbath rest is not shopping on sabbath oh yeah he's like you, we have to push against the culture that says we have to go 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 and do and that we have to buy yeah. every day and he's yep. like if we all bought one seventh less than we buy. Yes, people would be treated more ethically. It's that true. we're making the products, and we yeah. would have more money to buy things that were made more ethically. Yeah. And I, I think their church leads the way, and so I, I mean, I just think the world of him, and I think their church yeah. leads the way in so many areas of justice. Yep. and and right living. Yep. and consumerism, and the way they talk about clothing, and I mean, they don't play around. They're like, yeah. if you believe the gospel, yeah, if you follow in the way of Jesus, you should be shopping differently. Yeah. 100%. And I'm always like, oh man, I know. It's me right in the H and M. It's right. <laughs> <laughs> so true. It yeah. Does. Yeah. I'm always like, oh, like I just bought an Atlanta Braves shirt to go to the game, and never yeah. one time did I think I just picked which one I wanted. Right. Yeah. I know. And, and it's I easy. am the problem, Allie Fallon. I'm well, the problem. We all are in our own ways, and I think that that's all that we can ask of ourselves is that we're constantly examining and reexamining, because it's easy to justify. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It really is. And nobody would think you were crazy for being like, I mean, in fact, the majority of people you talk to in this country would be like, I would never think to, to figure out yeah. where that shirt was made. And after a trip like yours, when, when you come back and someone goes, okay, but like, what is, what is me buying a different shirt? How's that going to matter? How's right. one person right. stepping into the system make a difference? What would you say? Well, it's hard because you can get overwhelmed by the incredible need. I felt that way seeing the red light districts mm-hmm. and thinking identifying in so many personal ways with the women who are in a situation where they're being manipulated and exploited. And also they're in, again, I feel like I have to be careful about how I talk about this, but they are being manipulated and exploited. And at the same time, they are willing participants. So there has to be this moment where if, where they, they make the decision to leave Mm -hmm. and to do something different. Mm -hmm. And it's an incredibly impossible decision to make, not impossible, but a very incredibly challenging choice for them to make given the um, constraints of what they're living in under. But it's easy to get overwhelmed and think like, how could we possibly offer enough help for all of these women who need it? Yeah. And at the same time, I'm visiting, we visited several safe houses that Rescue Freedom supports. And in one of them, we spent time with these young girls, I mean, really young who have been offered a way out of the Mm -hmm. sex industry. Mm -hmm. They're like 13, 14, 15 years old. Oh my gosh. And we played games with them one night that we played the game Spot It. Have you ever played that game yeah, before? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's easy games to play where you don't speak yeah. much English. And I I just couldn't help but feel like this is like a high school sleepover slumber party. Like yeah. they're just little girls, you know. And I'm like, these are 13 lives that could, in one sense, you could say like, you know, we walked through a red, red light district where they told us there are as many as 30,000 women on an off night being sold. What? It's that's insane. Insane. But 30, then you're like, so 13 girls and 30,000 women. But I think you really do have to focus on the 13 girls. And and to your question, you can't get lost in the sea of there's so much mm-hmm. need or there's so much that needs to be done. You have to go like, 
here's what's in front of me. Here are the choices that I can make. And I'm going to make the best choice that I know how to make given the yeah. information that I have. Yeah. I'm only responsible for what I know yeah. and what I can do Yeah, in my, li- my same amount of hours as everybody else, but right. my limited hours. Yes. Yeah. And trust that it's going to add up to something. I mean, mm-hmm. I was really, really encouraged by seeing how many people there are on the ground. Rescue Freedom has local partners all over the world and they did a partner gathering in Thailand and we got to meet with a lot of them. So they're like from South America and all over Asia and everywhere. Yeah. Even um, some partners from the States. Oh, wow. We're working with women from the States. And I was just so encouraged to think like these are all really incredibly passionate, committed, sacrificial people who are giving mm-hmm. their lives and their mm-hmm. time and their energy. They're not They're not getting paid a corporate salary. They're right. not, you know, the, the benefit that they're getting from it is the sense of satisfaction of knowing that they're giving an opportunity to women who would n- otherwise never have it. So yeah. um, what made like, you say yes to going? Uh, a couple things. Number one, I really love the work that Rescue Freedom's doing. Two, my friend Betsy is um, on the board. Mm-hmm. I love and Betsy. She's, you know, my closest friend. I'm just like, she's like, do you want to go? And I'm like, yes, anything. Yeah. I'll say yes to anything she asks. So. Is she your closest friend? Yeah. I mean, I would say, yeah. yeah. Okay. The, yeah, the That's awesome. I didn't know yeah. that. That's really yeah. sweet. We sometimes go to the same yoga studio, me and Betsy. Oh, do you really? So we see each other in oh, Interlight. Fun. Always I love be, it. Hi, that's what we were like. Let's exchange numbers. It's finally oh, time. We should so be real good. friends. So uh, yeah, I think I think very highly of her. Interlight's a good one. Yeah, it's Emmy. She's just amazing. Yeah, it's so like good. it's such a great place to go. Where I love that the music is upbeat and fun. Yep. Yeah. And I I think Emmy is very spiritual. Everyone mm-hmm. there is very spiritual. Um, not everyone believes the same stuff we believe, mm-hmm. but there isn't a push to believe something else. Right. Just a space. There's space can, to yeah. come and bring your faith and your experience. And yeah. um, it, do you feel like that's true about Inner Light? That's how I feel. Yeah. I mean, I don't spend, I am a member at Hot Yoga East Nashville. So that's oh, okay. where I, and it's walking go. distance from my house. So oh I'm my gosh, there. your life is so. It is. It's so lovely. It's so, uh, <laughs> so, so urban. You well, walk places. I love it. It's funny that I moved from Portland. That's where I grew yeah. up. And in Portland, it's like all the, all of the little communities are, they're built in little pockets. Yeah. So you, you, if you live in Northwest Portland, you stay you there. Walk to the Trader Joe's. Yeah, and you yeah, watch yeah. Your work and you jump on the Max train and whatever. Yeah. So when I moved to Nashville, I was like seeking out. You know, I lived in Twelve South area, Eighth, Eighth yeah. Avenue South when I first moved here, mm-hmm. and I was just like desperate for like. But I remember the first time I walked from Eighth Avenue South to Frothy Monkey in the middle of the summer, and I was like, "Oh, this is why people don't walk here." Yeah. I'm like dripping in sweat <laughs> yeah, when I got there. Billion degrees. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. But okay, so let's talk about why you moved to Nashville. What made okay. you move here? I was married at the time, Mm -hmm. and it was really my ex-husband was the one who wanted to move here, and I always joked that I came kicking and screaming and then ended up falling in love with it. Yeah. So um, we had moved a bunch, and I don't really know. I can't make an assumption about about why he wanted to move here. Um, He always had really strong opinions about what he wanted to do next and where he wanted to go, and Mm -hmm. um, so he wanted to come here and... And yeah, we came and like I said, I, it was like almost immediately I was connected with Tim and Katie Schur yeah. and Donna Betsy and um, Don and I had known each other in Portland and then I had never met Betsy before until okay. their wedding, the rehearsal dinner was the first time I ever oh, met her. Oh, wow. And Don was like, I think you're really going to like Betsy a lot. So I was literally like, maybe like, I'll go to Thailand with her someday. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you will be my friend. Right. I will make this happen. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um so it just settled in and have loved it. How long have you been here? Five what years. Year five. August will be five years. Yeah, August will be 10 years for me. I was about to say, I feel Crazy. like you came, I, I remember y'all moving here. Do you? Because I remember when you, I remember before you were here, okay. when we did the quarter life conference. Oh my gosh, I forgot. I know, all that's about where we started that. being friends, Allie. I totally forgot yeah. about that. And so I remember knowing y'all from there and then y'all moving here. Okay. And so, yeah, yeah I, I, and I, rem- this is so bizarre, but you and I got, um, we got coffee one time. Do you remember we got lunch? Yes. Um, right when you moved here, I think. That's not long so after true. you moved here. Yes. And so I remember what else was going on that week in my life. So that's how I know. Got it. Okay. So I'm a wackadoo. What, like what else that. was going on? Or, or I was, I, it was where I was in a book. I remember oh, where I was it. in a book. Okay. And so I remember, and so then I was going, oh, I bet that was about five years ago. How funny. Because... That's when I was working on this particular project. Yeah. So that's what I just so remember. It was hot. And I, I remember carrying my bag was heavy. I mean, I, I have the weirdest <laughs> memories, <laughs> Allie. Sorry. And I'm amazing. not, I don't have a photographic memory except when I do. Yeah. Right. And then you just like a, a memory. And then I'm like, like I know I can see the whole thing, see what you're wearing. I can see where you're sitting. No way. Yeah. The whole that's thing. That's crazy. Our friendship is just 
memorized in my heart. I will say that period of time in my life for a lot of reasons, and if if someone reads the book, they'll understand yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. But for a lot of reasons, is very blurry to me. Yeah. There's a lot that I don't remember. Yeah. So it's funny now. I'm like, oh, I actually do have a decent memory. Do you know what I think is interesting? One of the things I'd love for you to talk about is I feel like your voice was never blurry. That way I would have never gone like, Allie's voice was blurry. <laughs> but your voice is so clear now. Oh, thanks. Like what you say online and what you write, you are like so clearly you. Hmm. And I feel like that's, I I feel like that has. It's incredibly different. Yes. Uh, Almost like when I read Packing Light, which is my first memoir that came out. That came out when I was married. So 2013. It actually came out the year right when I moved to Nashville. Yes. Um, When I read that, I see so much of him. Like I see Mm. the things I was saying because I knew he wanted me to say them. Um, And I don't know if someone else would notice the difference as much. But it definitely, when I. Now I feel so much more freedom to speak. Because y'all are divorced now. Yes. Right. And mm-hmm. you're not remarried yet. No. Yeah. What has it been like being single again? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I have mixed feelings about it. It is a, an interesting thing to be single again after having been married because for a lot of reasons. Number one, because the veil is lifted. Yeah. It's like before you've ever been married, there's a certain level to which... You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. There's an anticipation to marriage. Mm -hmm. There's also, I think it might be different depending on age too, but when you're younger at least and you haven't really had your heart shattered into a million pieces, there's like this beautiful naivete that just you can just sort of like fall for someone and have this, you know, it could be talked about in a negative way, but I actually think it's really positive to be able to like just have rose-colored glasses for a person yeah, and just yeah. like really love them and mm-hmm. like hardly even see their flaws. <laughs> right. That is just the jig is up. Like, yeah. You're like, this is, we're going to just hurt each other really badly no matter how this goes. Like even people who are really well-intentioned, like you just kind of know what's coming. And so the dating thing is more like careful stepping, everyone. Mm. Nobody make any sudden movements. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every, like, put your hands up. Yeah. Just look right yeah. at Just don't make a sudden move. Yes. Yeah. So you just are much more careful, which I think, I mean, I've tried to to strike a balance there too, because mm-hmm. I do think there's a, I, I say in the book, you can either be in control or be in love, but not both. Yeah. And I think there's an element oh, to which. that ruins my life today. Go it's ahead. It's like, well, you have to be yeah, able to relinquish the control over like i am i'm literally surrendering the control that i might get hurt i will get hurt like if mm-hmm. you let yourself fall in love mm-hmm. you will get hurt mm-hmm. so how do you learn to respond to hurt in a way that's constructive that's really what the book is about like how do i learn to take the hurts that are inevitable in life yeah. and to turn them into something constructive and actually use them to make me stronger rather yeah. than feel more um, fragile. Yeah. So how do I do that? And then how do I become more discerning about the people who I let hurt me? Because I think there's a difference between being hurt by someone who knew they were going to hurt you and was being malicious about it and being hurt by someone who's really well-intentioned and well-meaning and just didn't know yeah. Yeah. that that, you know, didn't know that what they did was hurtful to you. Um, so I'm learning, I'm learning the difference between that and, now I'm I'm in a committed relationship. With, mm-hmm. I have a boyfriend who's really wonderful, and I think that has been one of the most healing and constructive things about our relationship is those moments of repair yeah. when it's like, oh my gosh, that thing you said or this tension we had or whatever. I feel really wounded. I it, this is a tender spot for me, and to have his response be, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Uh-huh. You know how can I how can I love you better in the future? now that I know that yeah is that has been I'm like this is um a whole different it's a whole different way of being hurt I think yeah All right, friends, I'm going to interrupt this conversation with Allie real quick to tell you about my buddies over at Prep Dish. If you've been around with us for a little bit, you know how much I love when things in the kitchen are easy. I just need them to be easy. It's not that I can't cook. I'm just better at combining and I don't have a ton of time. And Prep Dish has made it so, so easy for me, especially in the summer when you want to like be in the kitchen less and be with your people more outside grilling or just sitting around talking by the pool. This is a great way. Using prep dish is a great way to save time and be efficient in the kitchen. Eat healthy, whether you want to do gluten-free or dairy-free or paleo, however you eat. You know, I'm a weird eater, but some of you guys eat totally normal, can eat everything, and I'm jealous of you. But I love stress-free, good meals. And Allison over at 
prep dish who is, I just adore. I just think she, oh, we just have an alley full episode today. But Allison over at Prep Dish is offering you guys a free two-week trial. All you have to do is go to prepdish.com backslash Annie, A-N-N-I-E. And if you ever need to plug in a code, it's always just my first name in all caps, okay? So A-N-N-I-E. But Prep Dish is just a healthy subscription-based meal planning service that I think will help ease up your summertime plans and give you more time to do what, you know, what sounds fun to you. <laughs> so I, whether you want to try the roasted vegetables or the turkey and zucchini lasagna, there's just a lot of really, really great recipes that they have for you. So make sure you check out Prep Dish. Again, go to prepdish.com slash Annie and your first two weeks are free. This is a no-brainer. It's so easy and fun. So let's go prepdish.com slash Annie. Now back to my conversation with Allie Fallon. Talk about, find, I think one of the most interesting things I'm seeing in my life and I think it must be true across the board yeah. as my counselor yeah. and I talk about it. And as I look at my friends and as I look at friends like you who um, have suffered greatly yeah. and have come out of it a healthier version of you. Mm. And that has attracted someone that is a healthy version of yeah. themselves. Yeah. Right. It just feels like the more I go after being Annie mm-hmm. and like just being Annie yeah. and whatever Annie likes and whoever Annie is. Yeah. And the men keep being better at being them too. Yes, it's true. Will you give yourself permission? It's not just in romantic relationships, but romantic relationships because of the level of intimacy, I feel like are amplified. The this the lesson is amplified. Mm. But in every relationship, the better I am at confronting my own shame, learning how to lift my own shame uh, so that I can be a better version of myself, the better I am at holding space for myself, inevitably the better I am at holding space for someone else to have mm. an experience of themselves that is deeply human. So we're not perfect. And when the less intimacy there is in a relationship, the less closeness, the more you can put on the show that like, I pretty much got it together. Of course I have my moments like anybody, but I'm, you know, like I can pull it together. No problem. Yeah. Then the the closer you get, like notice how you go on a trip with a friend and now suddenly like the tensions are turned up because you're in the same hotel room and there's nowhere to go. And, and the same, and in a romantic relationship because of the way our attachment wounds show up too, it, it brings all of our primal instincts into mm-hmm. the relationship. So now it's like lighting a firework inside yeah. of that. So you'll start to see your weaknesses be amplified, your fears be amplified. Everything gets amplified in a romantic partnership. In so, order for there to be healing. In order, for, Right, exactly. Right. So in order for there to be healing, but you learn that the better job that you can do at finding that healing for yourself, the more space you offer someone else to have an authentic experience mm-hmm. of what it's like to be human, mm-hmm. meaning that they're going to have moments where they are angry or sad or ridiculous or, a requ- you know, or like insecure or whatever, because that's all part of the experience of being a human. Mm-hmm. And when you are, when you're trapped in your own shame and someone else has an experience of being angry or sad or insecure, you take it personally. Mm-hmm. When you're not trapped in your own shame, you just go, wow. I see you. What a miraculous thing it is to be here and alive and in my life with my whole heart. Like, yeah. it's terrifying, isn't it? And painful yeah. and amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and when you can do that for someone, it's almost like the the feelings that we spend so much time trying to avoid, like those intense feelings because we aren't sure where they're going to take us, mm-hmm. they move through us much more quickly mm-hmm. and they alter us and change us and heal us. They are the healing agent. They're the things yeah. we're avoiding. Yeah. And then when you let it just kind of move through you, you're like, oh, yeah. that's like, all I needed to do was just have a good cry and now I'm better. Yeah, right? Yeah. I was talking to our mutual friend, Miles. Oh, yes. And I was saying to him uh, about a relationship, I was saying, what the magical thing in this is me. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Because I am being who I want to be. Yeah. And I am, I mean, the the whole thing was magical, but the factor that I get to carry no matter what relationship I'm in is me. Yeah. And I am, thanks to OnSite and thanks to therapy (laughs) and thanks to God, just, I said to someone the other day, it is so kind to me that God in all the things he has to take care of takes time to heal me. Yeah. Right, yeah. like takes time to walk me out of my shame, totally, so that I can be a better human with a whole heart in a yeah. relationship. Yeah, exactly. And but and then to sit with Miles and go, "You're watching this. You see this thing that's going on. Yeah, and you know that I'm the magic spot. Like yeah. I'm the one. I'm yes. the you know, and and so's the dude, and so's the story. Right, but th- this is why we need to have coffee. So we need to like <laughs> really talk about all this. But um, but yeah, it's that shame is the thing that tries to tell us. You can't do relationship. Right. 
or that even tries to tell you you can't have a moment of weakness or vulnerability mm-hmm. or or a moment in a, in a relationship where you're terrified to tell the truth or where you have a meltdown or like actually all of those things. I say, I talk about this in the book, but I think we get this idea in our head that our job is to make a relationship work. Mm. That's where the shame comes from because how old are you? 37. Okay, so I'm 35 and I, I have like the shame story for me is like you are 35 years old and you can't freaking make a romantic relationship yeah. work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even a marriage. Right, you couldn't make yeah. that thing last. So that's the shame story. And the truth is it was never our job to make the relationship work. That love is, has been doing its work in us all along, regardless mm. of single, married, whatever. I have a friend who says getting married is a lateral move. And <laughs> oh, I feel that's like brilliant. that's sort of true. Yeah. Like I, the sentiment rings very true to me in the sense that we are all doing the same work, regardless of whether we're single or dating or engaged or married or divorced or whatever. The work is the work is the work, which mm-hmm. is how can I show up in my life with my whole heart? Yeah. How can I learn to use my voice and speak up and, and become more of who I am? And of course, in a romantic partnership, the challenges become different. Like, mm-hmm. And so, yours is long distance, right? He doesn't live here, right? Yes. Yeah. So, but the challenges for each of us are different. You know, like I have friends whose husbands are on the road all the time yeah. or friends who wish their husbands were on the road all the time <laughs> right, right. home all the time or friends who had babies really young and so they've got responsibilities, you know, like they've got four kids in the house and mm-hmm. have responsibilities that I, I can hardly get myself fed and out of the house in the morning yeah. and I've got friends who've got to like get People, I know. Dressed. I think about that all the time. When a, when one of my married friends is like, "I know you're so busy," I'm like, "I am busy." Yeah. Also, you got five <laughs> people ready today, yes. and I got me ready today. <laughs> so I recognize. I mean, because I do think single, and you you've probably experienced this too, but I do think single women at time and men are given this narrative of like married people are so much more busy than we are. Yes. And no, but like, yes. I mean, yeah. a little bit. Like a little bit. If you've got four kids and a yeah. husband and a dog. Like you probably have more on your plate than me. Well, I th- see. I just think it's different. Yeah. So, like, because I had this this thought when I came home from Thailand. Yeah. Like I'm we're coming. I'm coming home with three of my close girlfriends, and all three of them are coming home to husbands, and two of them, all but Betsy and I, are coming home to kids. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, what a weird thing it is. Uh, on the one hand, I could feel really sorry for myself because I'm coming home to an empty house after a mm-hmm. really crazy trip. I'm feeling really emotional. I'm exhausted and lonely and wish I could talk to someone mm-hmm. and get a hug and whatever. And Matt's in LA and I'm here and I'm, and you know, I get home at midnight. So I'm like not really feeling like being on the phone for hours. Yeah. And I could on the one hand feel like, oh, this is awful. Like I can't believe I have to be single. On the other hand, there are a lot of perks. Like right. talking about to being single, like I come home and I can like do my laundry and nobody's needs Lay anything from me. Couch. I don't have to make yeah. food for anybody. I can lay yeah. on the couch and watch TV and rest and whatever. Yeah. And so all that to say, the challenges are just different and the perks are different and the benefits are different. Yep, that's right. And it's like, I think we could get bogged down in for each of us in all of our lives in thinking about comparing to other people and thinking like that person has a busier schedule or like they have more time in their schedule than I do or they have more money than I do or they have more resources or you know, um, wouldn't it be nice to have a parent who could open XYZ door for me or mm. whatever. It's like you can get bogged down in all of those details, but instead the challenge for all of us is exactly the same. Like how can I show up in my life with my whole heart? How can I become more of who I am? How can I chase down my demons and figure out a way to overcome these bad habits that are getting in the way from me being who I really want to be in the world? Yeah. And for each of us, those challenges look different, but they all mean the same thing basically. Yeah. So you know, for my one friend who has started having kids really young and she's got four kids in the house, her challenge looks really different than mine. Mm-hmm. It looks really different, but it's not easier right. or harder. Right. It's just, it is. It is right. what it is. It's holding both those things. I read on a on Insta story, someone <laughs> screenshot a picture of a book and it said, loneliness makes way for intimacy. Oh, it's true. It's um, true. When uh, I let myself feel lonely... It is the exact same spot in me yes. that gets filled by real intimacy. A hundred percent. And when I don't want to feel lonely, I am filling with some sort of false mm-hmm. intimacy. Yeah. And so so I can hold that. When I come home from a trip, I can hold, I feel lonely. I wish someone yeah. was here. Yeah. And know that that is good to feel lonely yeah. and not feel like I have to smother one. it or cover it up. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, I'm so lucky that I come home to a house totally. that does not need me to do anything to it. Yeah. That just, I can just throw my suitcase somewhere and throw myself on the couch and yeah. nobody cares. Yeah. And That's it's a good word. And so I, well, listen, don't you know, I'm an Enneagram seven, so I'm learning to hold <laughs> pain and joy together Yeah, and not insist on one or the other. I tend to insist on extremes. Yeah. So I'm learning to hold them both. 
It's so true. And it makes me think too of like when you try to, the things that we do to fill the loneliness, like drinking or porn or even Netflix to an extent, I mm-hmm. think it's more or like more friends, fun. just filling it with stuff right. to do or yeah. It's like, it actually blocks us from yes. true intimacy. Yeah. David White is a poet I love and he has this quote, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to butcher it, but it's something like sometimes it's actually in the book. There we go. Oh, That's there you go. Find it. Open it. Oh, I opened right to it. Oh, great. Well, tell us the page number. So when we're it's on when page we, 84. On page 84 of Indestructible. Okay, go. Sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn that anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. Okay. Isn't that so good? That's really good. Okay. Sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. That is really good. Mm-hmm. My thought is, how sad is it when something does bring you alive and you can't have it? Oh, yeah. What do you do with that? Oh, I wish I had an easy answer. I there isn't know. one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But that I think that's the tension, too, of like, it is, it is easier for me to recognize when something is a bad fit than to release mm-hmm. a good fit that isn't working. Yeah. Here's the, the resonance that I have with that. I don't know that it's a direct parallel, but... Um, the relationship in the book after my marriage ended, I met a man and um, was really the only other relationship I've had other than Matt after my divorce. Um, and relationship is probably too strong of a word. It was about eight weeks. <laughs> but but Real things can happen in eight weeks. I'll give you that I, for sure. I felt he was incredibly kind to me and I, I was really in need of some kindness in my life. And, um, and I felt really attached to him for that reason. And I think when readers read the book, they'll see that the way that I processed at the moment, like when I realized this is not a, this is not going to work with us. Like mm. there are just a thousand reasons why. And by work, it's like, again, I'm trying to make a relationship work. I'm trying to muscle it into place yeah. instead of releasing someone to yes. be exactly who they're meant to be in the yes. world and releasing myself to be exactly who I'm yes. meant to be in the world. I'm like trying to like, because I like the way that I feel, I'm trying to force this thing into place. Mm. And that's actually the opposite of what love is trying to do. So it was this... And that is true in friendships. Agreed, That is true yes. in relationships. That is true in work environments. When you stop trying to put something in its right place, it will go to its right place. Agreed. Yeah. And and for me, so for me, the crazy realization was that actually in releasing him, um, knowing that probably we're not going to be in contact, there is an incredible amount of love that I get to experience mm-hmm. Even before Matt came into my life, I don't mean love as in a romantic partnership. Right. I fi- I'm finding that in a partnership now, which is such a beautiful thing. But even without that, by the end of the book, I was still very alone in my life. But there was so much love. It was like oxygen rushing into places in my body that it hadn't been in so long. And I use the yoga analogy a lot there too. It was like somehow the experience with him had opened up this space for me to see myself differently and to experience the world differently. And to feel, to just let myself feel only gratitude for that. And Marianne Williamson has this great, she talks about how relationships don't really end. They just change form, which was incredibly comforting to me in that time too, because I thought it felt unbearable to me to have my marriage end and then to, to feel what I felt for this person and then to have that end too. And instead of thinking of it as an ending, I, I took her advice and thought it's really not an ending. It's like, I'm going to let this relationship change form to be exactly what it's meant to be. Mm. And the the form it's changed into is we're not in contact, but I will always know about his deep care for me and his heart for me. And that's enough. Yeah. You know, I mean, it doesn't take the pain away completely and it doesn't take the loneliness away, but I love what you said about loneliness being the, it's like the, the fertile soil for true intimacy. It has honestly made me go like love when I feel lonely. Yes, yes. Because I've got, oh my gosh, I have made a way for intimacy in my life Love that it. I used to not do. Yeah. Look at you. You're so freaking lonely. It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah. You are making a way yeah. for good and a good place for intimacy. And not to be super cheesy Christian-y, but then I say to the Lord, like, you got to fix this. Yeah. I'm being Annie. I'm doing the best I can. You come in. Right. And you make it right. Bring a dude. Bring a right. friend. Bring a, you see the hole here. Yeah. So, well, so, and here's another thing I'll say. I think one really damaging narrative in the church about singleness is, you know, if God gave you a desire for a spouse, he'll, he'll bring you a spouse. Mm. Go they year. 
I feel like we have to balance this idea of, and you hear it in secular culture too, or like more, you know, um, secular spirituality. And this would probably be true for people who feel like they have a desire to have kids. Agreed, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can, I'm, I can resonate with that a ton. I really, yeah. really wanted to have children when I was married, and we weren't able to get pregnant. So, and who knows? I mean, it's just a thing. It's like who knows whether that will be an experience that I have or not. Yeah. Um, and for you, I'm, I'm assuming that you have a desire to get married. Who yeah. knows? It's like who, who, we, we could try to predict. And we would be so arrogant to try to predict. Right, right. So there's a, a certain amount of creating a life that is meaningful to you that you have control over. There are the things you can do. And I really 100% believe in the law of attraction mm-hmm. that like the more work, just like we were talking about earlier, the more work I do on myself, the more healthier I get, the healthier person I'm going to draw into my life. Mm-hmm. I have that rings really true for my experience. So you can do all of that. But if you're doing it with an agenda in mind, with an outcome in mind, and I, I talk about this in the book too, how you can go in and do all the good things. I mean, I did it in my marriage. Like when I look back at myself in the beginning of my marriage, of course I can find ways that I was flawed. Of course I can. I can think of like decisions I made that I wish I wouldn't have made or whatever. But like I had really good intentions. I wanted to be married. I wanted to be a good wife. I wanted to be in love. I wanted to start have a family. And if you go in doing all the good things, thinking this is going to guarantee me a certain outcome, you set yourself up for tremendous disappointment oh, and for a resentment. Beyond. I felt this like resentment. Like I was like, how is it possible that someone could work so hard to make, could work so hard to have the thing that I want and then it's ripped out from underneath yes. of me, you know? Yes. So I think you have to do the things that you do that are within your control, you have to do them without expectation of mm-hmm. a return. I think expectations are the death of us, really. Yes. I think, I mean, I, I was just saying to my counselor yesterday, the only things I'm upset about in this story are my unmet expectations, <laughs> yeah. right? Like the rest of the story is fine. It yeah. makes total sense and yeah. is flowing at the pace it's supposed to flow at. I am upset about the three expectations I set that yeah. didn't get met. Well, and the other thing that happens with expectations is they become this lens, like a pair of sunglasses that you're looking through, and then everything that happens you're interpreting through what you're expecting to happen. Mm-hmm. So it actually impacts how, when you have these strongly held expectations of what is supposed to happen, like I'm supposed to be married by the time I'm 28 or whatever, Yeah. then you start making decisions that are really wonky because they're actually out of alignment with who you really are because you're making them you're actually reading your life and reading everything through the lens of that expectation. So, I mean, I think that my getting married was, that was my story was, I thought, I felt like 28 was way too old to be single. Mm. And so when my ex-husband came into the picture, I read it like, God has sent me this man who, you know, like I remember thinking on my wedding day, I don't want to do this. Oh my gosh, you do. Uh, yes, but Golly. I felt like, this just must be what everyone feels on their This wedding. must be, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I couldn't admit the reality of what I was feeling because I, w- I couldn't come into alignment with myself because I had this paradigm that I was operating within that didn't give permission for me to feel mm-hmm. the way that I felt. Mm-hmm. There's so much grace and space for that. For sure. Like, I also had a friend say to me, which was very helpful, just because I made that decision doesn't mean my marriage couldn't have worked. Like, it's not like this was all your fault because you... For sure. I'm sure plenty of people make a decision to, you know, you make a commitment to someone to be in a a committed relationship over the long haul and um, without really knowing what that holds and plenty of people stay and stay committed and whatever. So holding those expectations not only sets you up for disappointment, but it also, it impacts your decision making in a way that is... It's not, it doesn't give you permission to make decisions that are authentic. Mm-hmm. So how do you pray, genuinely pray, and not have unrealistic expectations? How do you pray for something and ask God and believe mm-hmm. God and live that side of your faith life, yeah. but not let expectations ruin your life? I mean, prayer has changed so much for me. It's hard. And I don't know that I'm like the person to look to. <laughs> I like, still feel like I'm figuring it out. But That's why I love asking you, because I think <laughs> you're, you tell the truth. The thing I pray most often is um, this idea that every single thing that happens to me is an opportunity to learn. Mm. So instead of praying for certain things to happen, and actually I learned this from Marianne Williamson. Mm -hmm. She wrote that book, A Return to Love. 
She says, you can pray all day for a black Mercedes and you might get a black Mercedes, but how is your life any better for having a black Mercedes? Right. And the black Mercedes is just a metaphor, obviously, but I feel like I want, I just pray like, God, teach me, what is it that you have to teach me with this person, this frustration, this situation, mm-hmm. this fear, this moment, this whatever. Any experience. Like, That's what, how I feel about going to China. I'm like, I think I'm supposed to learn something here. So what yeah. are you going to tell what me? What are you going to yeah. teach me? Instead of like, of course, I, there are th- specific things that I want or long for, you know? I mean, I really longed, I, I still do long to be married and long to have a family. And so those, I think making our requests known is even known to ourself. It's like, can I even mm. admit to myself? I actually, it will, I, if I go to my grave and do not have my own biological children, it will be disappointing to me. Mm-hmm. I also, at the same time, am holding it with an open hand, trusting yeah. that I don't have total control over that. Um, and knowing that maybe there's something else, some other experience that I, even already in my life, there are other experiences like running a business that I never would have right. if I had had a family at the time I thought that I was going to have a family. And I'm so grateful for everything that I have learned and gained mm-hmm. from that experience. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, you know, like having both of those things happen at the same time, like I can admit to myself that this is something I really want. And I also can release the fact that I don't have total control over yes. getting it. I mean, the you can't be in control and in love thing seems so true romantically, but also seems so true in my life. <laughs> I cannot be in control of my life and in love with my life. Yeah, agree. I can't do both, <laughs> right? I just can't. Yeah, yeah. And so I either get to be in control and outline every step, or I get mm-hmm. to let go of control and love my life. Totally. And it keeps being true that being out of control is terrifying mm-hmm. and the most yes. the most fun I've ever had. Well, and so the, the like you know perfect love drives out fear. Part of the process for me has been like, oh, I'm paying attention to the fact now, Allie talking to myself that you're you're in control because you're too scared mm. to let go of control. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You're that's fine. Do what, when you, you're do what ready, you need to do today. Right. Yeah. And it's like a slow growing of like when you you can in the moments that you can let love in and let love take over the fear, it builds your trust over time mm. that I can let go of control and I'm gonna be okay. I'm like yeah. totally provided for financially. I'm totally provided for in you know, family. I'm totally provided for in terms of like, I'm not going to be lonely forever. I'm to, you know, like the pain, the painful feelings don't last forever, but it, yeah, it's a process. And I think just giving yourself permission and grace to go like, Oh, see what you're doing right here. You're just like, this is the thing you do. And you're yes. scared of letting love in as you just like, start like cleaning your house. You yes. Know? <laughs> yes. Allie, I do that all the time I, where I go, you may have been who taught me this, but where I go like, okay, you're doing this because you're afraid. Yeah. Everything you're doing right now, the yeah. text you just sent, the yeah. activity you're doing, the place you're driving to, yeah. you are afraid. What yeah. if we just stopped? Yeah. And we just like, th- you, you can still drive there. Yeah. But let's like stop and say to ourselves, why are we doing right. this? Right. And just even just looking at your actions with such compassion is mm. actually remarkably powerful to even not change your action. I think in, in evangelical Christianity, we get very focused on changing our actions and I think it's not it's not surprising to say or to recognize that it's incredibly ineffective. <laughs> yeah, right. For as much as we want to like have our actions, our ducks all in a row, like we try and we try and we fall short mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. So like, what does it look like? This is a practice that I've had in my life for the last couple of years. What does it look like to just look at my action, which is less than ideal. It's not what I want, but like look at it with incredible compassion and be like, you know, there's a scene in the book, the second to last chapter where I and like drink a whole bottle of wine by myself and light a bonfire. And I'm like, I'm like a total disaster. But like part of writing that chapter for me was like, can I look at this moment in my life with incredible compassion and be like, wow, what a, what a hard thing it is to be human and alive and in your life. And you just, you struggling human, you. Yeah. Oh, you sweet struggling human. Yeah. Like, I mean, look at you go, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. it's like, do you know it's one of the reasons those commercials really bother me where people lose weight and they hold up their own cl- old clothes <laughs> and then drop them or they do side by side? Because I want to be like, why are you doing that to that old version of you? Yeah. Why oh. are you being so unkind? Was that person a bad person? No, that yeah. was you. Yeah. That was you doing the very best, best you could you do could. that day. Yeah. So why don't you quit putting your pants in front of everyone? <laughs> why are you shaming this version yeah. of you that was really doing all they could do? 
And so I, so that stuff makes me before and afters make me cra- not a haircut yeah. and not a, you know, I'm not yeah. talking about, I'm talking about when somebody goes, look how awful I was yeah. and look how great I am now. Yeah. I'm like, Man, well, it's just maybe not you didn't. True. Maybe you weren't as kind. You aren't as kind to yourself today as you think you are. Agreed. Yeah. So because that person, every person that you've ever been was doing the very best they could that day. Well, and the other thing too, I've noticed this because of with myself in my faith, because my faith has had to change so dramatically mm-hmm. because of my experience. And if I look back on the version of myself five years ago, and you know that even like the misguided way that I was interpreting my faith that caused me to choose the marriage that I chose or whatever. If I think about that with a really critical eye, it's no different than me looking at someone else who's standing in that same position and looking at them with a really critical. It's the yes, same thing. It's the same I thing. can't have compassion for other people until I learn to have compassion for myself. Yes. So it's like this incredible release to be like, wow, she was just trying, like, sweet girl. That's she it. She was trying so hard. That's it. That's exactly what I say about old versions of my body, mind, and spirit. Mm. She, bless her heart, she yeah. <laughs> literally was doing the best she knew how to do, yeah. and I will do nothing but celebrate her. Yeah, I will never, someone else can shame other versions of me, yeah. best of luck. Yeah. I don't care. I mean, she got you here. She, yeah, I would Bad-ass not be here. Woman That's she is. right, right? <laughs> like, like, she is the one who decided to go to counseling. Yeah. So bless her heart because she recognized that she needed help. Yep. And I could not be who I and because in 10 years, we'll look at 37 and 35 year old us and go, yeah. bless her heart. <laughs> bless her heart. She Never was doing stops. the best she could. Yeah. Right. Totally. And so we just said, yeah, shame and old versions of yourself. When I shame old versions of myself, it tells me way more about me yeah. than it yeah. tells me about that old version of yeah. myself. Totally. Then I go, okay, you, then actually you haven't been able to lift off shame. Right. You actually are still yeah. really under shame yeah. because you're looking to push this shame, whatever it is you feel is deep in you right now onto some other version of you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 we don't do that. Yeah. We're indestructible. We are. As you teach us. <laughs> Why? Uh, tell me an indestructible who are you writing for? Me. I mean, I dedicated the book yeah. to myself, which was such a... I, look, yeah. I dedicated my new book to myself. Oh, did hold you on. really? Yes, That's on. amazing. I'm going to prove it. Keep talking. But I'm gonna I just know... I mean, it's funny because I right before I submitted the manuscript, I wrote the dedication yeah. page. And... Oh, I love it. This one, right? dearest, is this for one you. dearest is for you. Mine this one, says, I wrote it for me. Um, to me, the love of my own life and to anyone else who's had to fight like hell to save her own soul. We mm. are spectacular. You are spectacular. Yeah. So it's for you. It is. Yeah. And anyone else who, you know, has had to fight like hell to save her own soul. Yeah. Um, for anyone who feels like they, you know, have royally messed up their life and mm-hmm. for anyone who feels like there maybe isn't a way out and for anyone who wants to still believe that there is a way out. and um, I think it's for people who just want to read a beautiful book. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's just the piece. I haven't read the whole thing yet. I'm taking it with me. But uh, the pieces I've read, it's just a beautiful, you've, You've crafted a beautiful story you. out of your pain and suffering that is really relatable, whether you're single or married or young or old, or it, you. it's just a really beautiful, it teaches you how to be a better human. Mm, thank you so much. That's a great so, compliment. Well, I I, the it. biggest piece of feedback that I keep getting from people is they read it in a single sitting. So I feel like okay, that's, a, that's a good sign. Like, yeah. can't, you know, can't put it down. I do think... Not everybody will resonate with the details of the story, but I think the sentiment is just like the struggle that it is to be alive. I mean, that's all we know how to write, correct? Is the only thing I know how to write is my story and hope that pieces of my story. In fact, in the new book, I make a real point of going like, I need you to love your story because you don't need to go after mine. Yeah, exactly. You can read this and connect with it. Don't want this. Yeah, this is this won't be replicated. Yeah. Just like I can't look at your life and, and try to replicate yeah. it exactly, or Reese Witherspoon's life and try to replicate. Yeah. You know, like I can't. And so we have to fall in love with our own story mm-hmm. and our own healing. But the beauty of books like yours are that it teaches me. I do pull pieces into my own life, mm-hmm. and I go, "That's exactly how I want to do mm-hmm. that." That's why your Twitter is like one of my favorite follows because <laughs> I'm like, Allie has got these freaking gold nuggets. <laughs> That she just drops like bombs oh, all the gosh. time. Do you just, they just come to your head immediately or do you sit down some days and write a bunch of them at once? I, I do both. I go back and forth. Like sometimes I'll like schedule them out a few weeks in advance and then other times I'm like, I don't have anything to write. So yeah. my, my rule with my Twitter is I, and actually all my social media, I don't create content for the sake of creating content. Right. I just can't. I think maybe if there's nothing to say, don't say. I really think it's the four in me. I think mm. my four like wins the day. Are you a full on four? I'm a four with a very strong three wing. Okay. But my four at the end of the day. So fours and the four three 
combo is interesting because and some of the types are like this, but like they fight with each other. Mm. Like my three is like, you know, my three is let's like, let's achieve, let's do it, let's I'm get like, it, put on the show, yeah, make yeah, everyone yeah. impressed. And then yeah, my four yeah. is like, not without being authentic. You won't do that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But my four wins out at the end of the day. And I think I'm, there's just so much content out there. It's nonstop. And you can get, you get this when you're in a profession where you're getting paid in one capacity or another to create content, mm-hmm. you can get in this. It's like a hamster wheel where you're like, gotta post an Instagram. And I'm just like, right. nope, nope, not doing it unless I've got something real to say. Nope. Because rage last- against the machine. I will rage <laughs> against this machine that tells me I have to post it noon every day. Well, I won't do it. Yeah. We can't. It's we just, can't be authentic. Totally. And there's oh. too much junk out there. Like, I'm like, I'm not gonna contribute to the madness. Thank you. That's how I'm too. I'm like, I don't need to remind you I exist. Yeah. <laughs> you get to decide. You Again, it's the, it's the open hands. Yeah. You, as the reader, listener, friend, follower, you get to decide if you remember me. It yes. is not my job to ask you to remember that I exist. Yeah. Yep. You get to decide whether yeah. you follow me or unfollow me. Whatever, read or don't right. read, listen or don't listen. And what happens if you don't remember me? If I have a few That's thousand viewer followers because of it, then I can live with that. I can live with that. Because at some point, the internet's going to go away. <laughs> right? Whether yeah. on he- in heaven and or on yeah. earth, the internet will stop being the internet and we will have to still be humans. Have you seen those memes that are like, that moment when Instagram disappears and you're no longer a model or something like that. <laughs> exactly. Up every time because I'm like, so true. I I'm know, like, so true. We feel like Instagram is just a funny, it's a funny thing. It makes us feel way more important than we actually are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You are welcome in our friendship to remind me that Instagram is not actually as important <laughs> as I am. There is not a place where that many followers same. are going to follow me anywhere. Yeah, it same. is just Instagram. <laughs> I, and you know this, but I totally value your words in my life and and, in our world. So I'm so thankful that you made time right after Thailand. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Of course. Um, So the last question we always ask, because the show is called That Sounds Fun. Just what does Allie do for fun? What is fun for you? Oh, I love being outside. It's my favorite thing. So hiking. It's very Portland-y. Biking. I know, right? It's it's the Pacific Northwestern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take it out of me. So anything outside in the sun, I'm like, Take me to the beach, take me to a mountain, take me hiking. I hate being cold, but other than that, okay. I'm like, that's the most fun I ever have. Okay. So now that you're back and like now that you're home and you're adjusting, you'll like go walk Percy the Warner. Percy Warner. Yeah, okay. The red trail. Okay. The red yeah. one. Okay. I know. Why? Um, it's the hardest hike that I have been able to find close to Nashville. Okay. It's funny because in Tennessee people are like, We have great hiking here. And I'm like, Sort of. You have good walking here. <laughs> right. You have really challenging walking. There's like no a, mountains. It's like a walk that will get you out of breath. Yeah. Like, it's like <laughs> yeah. You're exactly right. Yeah. I haven't done the red one. Can we, for, this is for real. Can we do oh, yeah. the red one sometime this summer? Let's do it. Totally. Okay. I think yeah. that'd be great. I really love fun. getting sweaty when I'm prepared to be sweaty. It's so good. I don't like it when I want to like look when I'm trying to make an Instagram. Yes. I don't want to. But when I'm like working out, I love hard. So. Well, I will do no Instagram stories of you while we're sweating on the hike. Thank you. We'll take a before picture. Okay, yeah, yeah, we'll do it before. (laughs) That's great. Oh, I'm so grateful for Allie and for her being on the show with us. She's just the best. I hope you enjoyed that. Make sure you pre-order her new book. Head over to Amazon. It is there. You know what's great about pre-ordering? It does a couple of things. I don't even know if you know this. Maybe you do if you follow some authors. Number one, the reason that pre-orders even exist on Amazon is it helps Amazon know how many books to have. And the worst thing that can happen is when Amazon runs out of books. It's terrible. And so if we go ahead and pre-order Allie's book, it says to them, hey, look, we've got this many people who are already saying they want to buy it. That means we'll have X amount more on book launch day. So it's really helpful for the author. So if you can go ahead and pre-order Indestructible, I think you'll be really, really glad you did. Um, It'll help Allie. But then also what makes it so fun is you probably will not remember that you have a book coming to you the week of Thanksgiving. And so go ahead and pre-order it. And then it'll be to you at the end of November. You'll have something fun to read over the holiday season. You can go ahead and order a couple if you have people you know you want to give gifts to. And just go ahead and they'll show up at your door. Do you keep a spreadsheet of all your Christmas gifts like I do? Is that insane? That way I don't give people the same thing year after year. But I would go ahead and put Indestructible on that list for a few people. Pre-order it. It'll show up in November. 
Make sure you pop over to Allie's social media and give her a follow. Tell her thanks for being on the show. Her Twitter, you can find linked in our show notes or over on my website where we talk about the whole show. Her Twitter handle is Miss Allie Fallon, M-I-S-S-A-L-L-Y-F-A-L-L-O-N. So make sure you check her out. Give her a follow. Tell her thanks for being on the show. If there's anything I can do for you, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs, F as in fancy, all across every piece of social media, wherever you need me, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever makes you happy, I will be there. Annie F. Downs. Hey, and if you get a chance and want to share this episode with a friend who you think would appreciate Allie's words and her heart, that would just be awesome. It helps so much. The only way we get in front of new eyes and new ears is if my friends tell their friends. And so if you have a friend that you think would enjoy the show, go ahead and share it with them. And if you get a chance to rate and review the show, that would be awesome too. For the next two weeks, you guys, we've got shows on Mondays and Thursdays coming for you. So look forward to it. I'm going to go out and do what sounds fun to me right now, which is, um, what does sound fun to me right now? Oh, I have great guacamole waiting for me in the fridge. That sounds great. So that sounds fun to me to eat some guacamole with a cucumber. That's been my new favorite vehicle of choice. So guacamole and a cucumber are coming my way. You go out and do something that sounds fun to you as well. And we will see you Monday with Russ Ramsey. Russ Ramsey.